and welcome to Reliving My Youth, the show where we look back at pop culture from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. My name is Noel Fogelman. We head back to the 80s today and chat with Martha Davis of the Motels, whose biggest hits include Only the Lonely and Suddenly Last Summer. She tells me how the band came up with the name and what they were calling themselves before the change. Martha also tells me the story behind her biggest hits. The Motel's new album, The Last Few Beautiful Days, is out now, and she's pretty excited about it. I listened to it, and I can understand why. Here's my conversation with Martha. And helping me relive my youth today is Martha Davis of The Motel's. Martha, thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Yeah, so let's go way back. How did um, you guys come up with the name of the band, The Motel's? Well, the motels uh, originally came from Berkeley, California. There's a little tribe of us, about four of us, that um, Lisa Brennis, Dean Chamberlain, Chuck Wada, and myself came down. And uh, at that point, we were um, the Warfield Foxes. That was our name. Um, I think it was because there was a Fox Warfield Theater in, in Oakland, California, that we, I don't know. But we got down to uh, L.A., and then Dean... Um, decided maybe we should be the Angels of Mercy. And on our way to our first gig, which was at Barney's Beanery, um, which does not have acts anymore, didn't have it very long after we played there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, they, they are located on Santa Monica Boulevard. And back in the 70s, Santa Monica Boulevard was all about where all the motels were. And as we're driving to the gig, um, I'm like, complaining about the name the angels of mercy because i think we should probably be you know serving soup or tending to this to the sick and needy (laughs) as opposed to playing rock music and dean who had come up with that name then looked up at the signs above our heads and said how about the motels and that was it and we went into the barney's beanery and they said and now the angels of and i went no (laughs) the motels and we were the motels ever since and when that band broke up um, apparently Dean tells it we were boyfriend and girlfriend that I was in some kind of bubble bath and threw my hands down hard upon the bubbles making them fly everywhere and demanded that I keep the name of the motels. I don't know if the story's true. I don't remember. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, the Angels of Mercy sounds also like a biker band. Yeah. <laughs> biker gang, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so then um, who were some, like, your musical in- influences growing up? Oh, God, they were so crazy and wide and varied. I think the first music that really knocked me knocked me for a loop, I was just a tiny kid. My mom had a great record collection, and, and I think I was around five when I heard Igor Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring and just was fascinated by that piece of music. I was just like, I'd sit and watch the turntable go around really fast, 78s, and um, just get terrified and just like, then think it was really beautiful. I just remember the music viscerally just affecting me. And so that was kind of like the first thing that knocked me out. And then there was the first uh, one of my, you know, and you used to have show and tell in school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and show and tell, like, I was so proud. I took, um, I had my first LP record. I was, I don't know, I wasn't that old. Um, seven, something like eight. I don't know. And my... My first LP was uh, Moonlight Sonata, and I brought it to school to share, and then I left it in the back of the car as we were driving home, and it totally warped. So oh. then I learned about about vinyl and, and what happens to it. Yeah. <laughs> and then when I was about 11, I fell in love with... Oh, and uh, I also was deeply fell in love with Negro Spirituals. 
and I used to, um, I learned three guitar chords when I was eight years old, and I just started, uh, I think my parents had a collection of, of spirituals, and I just, I love them so much, um, so I would play those, and I actually got my first, taught my first three chords by an amazing man, this African-American young student at Cal Berkeley who was who got there on scholarship from Watts and um, became, um, he was one of two African-Americans going to uh, law school there. And apparently at that time, and this is Berkeley, California, most liberal place in the world, right? right? Yeah. But at this point, uh, only one, uh, one African-American was allowed to graduate. They wouldn't allow both of them to graduate, even if they had the, the marks and everything. So, and Felton, Felton Henderson was the one that graduated, and his first job when he left Cal was to work for Bobby Kennedy. He was the first African-American working on the civil rights movement for the government, and he knew everybody. I'm still friends with him. He knew everybody. I mean, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, and, the, you know, and he has the greatest stories ever. But he taught me my first three chords, and... I thank him for it ever since then. I always tell him, you got me into this mess. So um, then I fell in love with musicals. I did a little folk time, but I didn't really decide on, you know, rock and roll. I mean, I, I loved R&B uh, when I was, you know, 12, 13, 14. I was totally into R&B, Four Tops, Supremes, all that stuff. But um, it all came together for me when, Dave, when I heard David Bowie. Because he kind of combined all the things I loved, you know. He combined the R&B. There was so much of that in the bass lines and stuff like that. There was music hall. There was, like, musical theater. There was, I mean, he had everything that I loved, but it was all combined with some really crazy costumes. So I, in terms of rock and roll, that's what I blame David Bowie for and miss him terribly. Yeah, it's it's amazing how many artists are, like, influenced by Bowie. I mean... It, rightfully so. I mean, he was yeah. just an, you know, an entertainer. Everything. I mean, you know, changed personas, and it, it's it's a real shame. Well, his songwriting was just so unique and so beautiful, and like I said, it really encompassed like, you know, my love of musicals and R and B, and all these all these components came together so seamlessly in his stuff. It was just, I mean, some of those songs are just they're they're perfect songs, you know, like changes and stuff like right. that. And, Major Tom and or Space Oddity. Um, anyway, yes, he is. He is, but he deserves a vacation. He definitely does. He yeah. deserves a, a nice just to look down on this madness and go. Oh, glad I'm not there. <laughs> yeah, oh God, that, that, that's for sure. That, that, that's for sure. But you, you mentioned before, like how um, you listened, like your parents' album, your vinyls, and that was the same way too and that's what you, you kind of grow up with you know my mom was a big Smokey Robinson fan and oh you know, yeah so it's like you, you know you grow up listening to that stuff cause that's what you have in the house and that was before yeah. you know the internet and you can just you know have music right in your palm of your hands <laughs> yeah and now it's like there's so much available and that's the hard, I think that's the hardest part about it I mean when you look back at when you know when record companies were record companies and albums were albums there was a real strategy as how many came out a year, exactly when they were placed. There was, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't, definitely wasn't a glut, and the ones that did come out were like, they had to be pretty perfect, you know. I mean, obviously there were some, there were some ones that weren't as great, but there was a lot, it was very, very planned out. And now it's just crazy because 
you can go anywhere on the internet and get you know every form of music known to man you know the good the bad and the ugly you know um so it's it, the hardest part of music nowadays is that filter and how do you find and and that's why i think those spotify's and pandora's you know where they tell you what you like you know like oh if you like this you'll like that you know which I guess makes sense in this day and age, but it also kind of, I don't know, it was very nice in the old days to just, like, have things presented to you, you know, like, perhaps, you know, we're putting this out now, and then you then you run to the record store and buy it because you love that artist or something, you know? I don't know, it's very different. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, pros and cons. I mean, I, one of the cons is I haven't been, I mean, not that there are many record stores available yeah. you know, around anymore, yeah. but just going in and just, you know, picking up a record and just listening, you know, headphones yeah. right there. I mean, now it's, I mean, it's like, it's, it's convenient because you have your phone right there and you can check Spotify and this and that. Yeah. But I mean, for the artists, I mean, yeah. album, album sales are in the shitter now because of it. Yeah. I was just talking to, well, Franny was just telling me she was having a conversation and, and, uh, she was talking to Sony, I think. I can't remember. Columbia. I don't know. Some, and they're just not doing albums anymore. There's just, you know, why do them? Um, so there are no albums. And and that was, that was a logical conclusion to where we we're going. Um, I just, you know, me personally, I, I have, uh, for a while now, I've kind of not wanted to make an album of songs, but rather an album of you know, a complete thought, you know, so that it's not like a rock opera, but right. everything is, is definitely there for a reason. There's a storyline, you know, whether whether it's obvious or not, but it connects things to me so that it's a bigger work. You know, just making a just making a pop song or a rock song or something is um I I, I don't know. I, it's gonna be hard for me to go to the switch to that because I I've you know, I've done it so long. I kind of love the big, the big picture. You know, painting a big picture as opposed to just like, oh, here's a three-minute song for you. <laughs> you know? So I don't know. It'll just it'll end up. Um, I mean, the whole the whole emphasis of all of this, I think, is that it forces all of us to be more creative about how we present ourselves. I mean, obviously, right now, revenue is down due to the fact that people are basically giving music away as opposed to getting yeah. <laughs> paid for it. So um, you kind of have to do something that's different and stand out. And uh, it's a big order these days because there's a lot of people out there. But I like a challenge. Yeah, exactly. Now, uh, is it a little bit, like, easier and more freedom that you, like, are an independent like artist now and that you don't have to worry about you know Capitol Records and Sony and like those um, music companies kind of telling you to release this song or put this song third on the album or that, that part that part is good um, because in the old days what what would happen was you'd you'd have an A&R man that would be working your record and he'd He's a human, so he has his opinions, you know, and uh, some guys are real pop guys, and some guys are real avant-garde guys, and, you know, it, so everybody's, you know, personality as the A&R man, and they're in control of the record in the sense that they're steering you, you know. They, I guess if you really wanted to just put your foot down and say, I'm not doing it, then 
there would be contractual stuff. But but you know what I mean. There'd be there'd be guys that like I I was working with one guy and he was a very much a pop guy. He was like I'm Joe Sixpack. So I started writing very poppy songs, you know. And then he got fired, and the next guy that came in was like totally, you know. I think uh, it was it was. Um, Tom Wally, and he he signed a skinny puppy, and I'm like, well, that's really not where I was. <laughs> right. so, so now I was like, had all these like silly pop songs that the last guy liked, but so yeah, it could be a real problem. Um, and, and it's nice to have that complete control, um, but you still, you know, I'm, I'm there's still a fair amount of control that's just basically the. Um, what you have to do now, like, first of all, artists have to completely market themselves unless you're huge. You know, if you're Adele or Taylor Swift, you've, you've got yeah. a whole thing. But if you're, you know, if you're on your own, it's, and marketing is, like I said, it's all about social media. So you have to completely dive into that world, which I have to do more diving. I'm bad. <laughs> um, and, and to me, it, it it seems very sort of unrelated, like I was saying. It feels like, you know, well, um, you know, there's there's a lot of, you know, what I had for breakfast out there, <laughs> 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 which doesn't... But I guess people, you know, it's it's weird. It's like people want to feel like they know you better. You know, you're more personally involved with you, and yet they're not at all, you know, and it's... Right. it's you know, it's like, it's what people want people to see, or, I don't know, it confuses me. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try to learn my social media and start tweeting and Instagramming and doing all those things. Lord knows I have enough fun things to Instagram out here on the farm. Yeah. Nothing like a good alpaca picture. Exactly, or like a piece of pie. A lot of people, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Instagram their food. <laughs> <laughs> For some people, some reason people like that. I don't know why. <laughs> I know people take pictures of food all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Food, food and cats for some reason. That's yeah, big on Instagram. Cats. Yeah. <laughs> so now let's go way, way back a, a little bit. Uh, all for one was a massive, massive hit for you guys. Um, only the lonely. Um, the, the original version was kind of shelled for years, correct? Yeah. 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 What happened there? Um, the. At the time we made the third album for Capitol, we had done the Motels, which was our first album, and then Careful, and then we did our third album, which was called Apocalypso. And it was a crazy record. Um, at the time I was going with, my boyfriend was Tim McGovern, who pretty much ran the show on that record, even though Val Garay was our producer um, at that time. Both Tim and Val, really strong personalities, Tim sort of musically won out on that uh, in that on that record, and it was very much a Tim McGovern record um, in, in production value, um, which made it made it kind of crazy and wild and dark. And I really liked, you know, Tim is he was a very talented guy. We were boyfriend and girlfriend. That wasn't the smartest move right. ever. Um, and as a boyfriend, nah, not as good as a producer. Um, <laughs> so we spent a year working on this record, and then um, Val, who is still producer by you know in uh, in name on that record, um, was was his 
his concept was we don't show capital anything until the record's finished. And then we invite him in, turn it up really loud and play it for him. And after we did that, um, Rick, um, I got called into the office where uh, Rupert Perry said to me, Martha, uh, we will release this album if you want us to, but I don't think the promotion men will work it, and I don't think it's going to go anywhere. And I'm like, oh... I guess maybe we shouldn't release this album. And I sort of took that opportunity when that record got sort of um, turned away to also break up with Tim. And then we started in again. Um, some of the sa the only song I think that's exactly the same from the album before was, I think it was Tragic Surf. Um, there were some songs that were on the album, the Apocalypse album, but they just got re-recorded, as in Only Lonely. And the funny part was, is when they turned down the Apocalypse record and Only Lonely was on it, they said that there were no hits on that record, <laughs> which just goes to show you what production can do. Yeah. We walked the loneliest mile. We smiled without any style. We kissed all together wrong. No intention We lie About each other's strengths We live Without each other Thinking what anyone Would do Without me and you It's like I told you Only the lonely Can play amazing like these people are supposed to like find songs and like find hits and they couldn't find a massive hit like that there <laughs> yeah but you know it's true it's, it's, there is times when it's like it the you know if it was 
just the production was a little too, or maybe it was like the impact of the whole record, and then like that just sort of fit in there, and it got sort of like just I don't know. It was funny to me that they said there were no hits, and then it was a hit. So uh, <laughs> you don't know. Yeah, how was um, writing only the lonely? Was that an easy song to write? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, that just fell out. I mean, I picked up my guitar and it was sitting there. Now, the, I love when they do that. Yeah, exactly. Now, the the video was a fun video, too. Was that a, also a fun video to uh, make? Yeah, videos, though, I'm not sure they did a lot of... I mean, I'm not sure that they served the music business as well as, you know, there is that video killed the radio star kind of thing that did kind of happen. You know, it did change people's perspectives a little bit, I think. Um, but the actual making of videos was a blast and I was very very lucky to work with just amazing you know like Russell McCahey who did uh, The Only the Lonely and, and Take the L videos wonderful you know just a talented director I worked with David Fincher I mean I was I, I had good times and it's a really I mean for me um, it was a real fun I like playing dress ups and make believe I mean <laughs> Right. <laughs> Obviously, I like making up stories, so um, yeah, it was it was good fun. Yeah, and it's a shame now because I haven't watched MTV. I don't know, probably like in twenty years. I and, know, and, and it's a real shame. Yet they still have a Video Music Awards, and they do they? Mean, they still do. I guess they, it's all YouTube now, huh? I, I guess because they sure as hell don't put them on uh, yeah. MTV or VH1 now. But and then they. They have, like, you know, their classic channels where they'll show old videos, but they won't have, like, any new videos, so it's, yeah. it's, it's a shame. People all the time come up to me, I mean, like, if I'm signing after a show or something, and person after person, God, why don't they bring back MTV? I, wanna, I used to watch music videos all the time. People love that stuff. Yeah, they do. And then another fun video also was Suddenly Last Summer. Was that, um, was that also an easy song to write? Um, that one was a weird song. That one took, like, a, um, the beginning of that song started in the 70s when I was still back in Berkeley, California, before I moved to, I moved down to L.A. in 75, so that was probably around 73, 74, and I was sitting in my backyard. It was a beautiful, it was a summer, summer day, so it was still warm, but all of a sudden this wind kicked in. It was like this cold you could feel winter was around the court that fall right. was coming, you know. And at the same time, I was, like, just sensing this. I was, like, going, oh, boy, summer's almost over. The ice cream truck went by, and it made me, like, go, that's probably the last time I'm going to hear that this year, just those combination of events. And then I didn't even think about it again for a long time, and I moved down to L.A., and it was probably 83, I did 82-something, this riff woke me up in the middle of the night, da 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 And I woke up, and I think that that memory of that day combined with the meaning, which to me is sort of like the loss of innocence, the end of something that you can't really go back to, you know? Um, all of it sort of just swirled around and became suddenly last summer at 3 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> And so it was probably years in the making, that song.
playing both those songs live? I do. I love, there is, you know, I don't think you can get sick of performing things live because it's never the same situation, you know, it's never the same audience, it's never, I mean, there's probably people in the audience that have never heard that and definitely not heard it live or something like that, you know, so you're, it's, it's, it's always a new thing and it's always, you know, the feelings about those songs will change depending on the situation, depending on the feel of the audience and the, you know, where I'm at and stuff like that. So songs are very, they're very strangely organic and alive and they're very malleable and they become what the situation is when they're needed, you know. it's Songs are amazing. So then you went, you went solo for a little bit, correct? Well, not intentionally. Right. It was like the band kind of... Um, it was kind of like the band had come to an end when we were making the, the I guess it would have been the eighth album. Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the last after after Shock, there was we all went in the studio to do another Motels album, and you know it's like that relationship when you just go, you look at your your beloved that you used to love so much. Like you used to share everything, or you used to be so close, and you look at them, and you just go, uh, I'm sorry, honey, it's kind of over, you know? <laughs> it, it was kind of what happened with the band. It had reached a point where 
um, it just, it, you know, it didn't seem like anybody was happy to come into the studio. It was kind of like people were dragging in, and it, it, it was over, you know. I just felt like what was the motel no longer, and so I took everybody across the street one by one, bought them a drink, and fired them. That was on Valentine's Day, and Michael Goodrow still refers to it as the St. Valentine's Day massacre. Massacre, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was sad. It was heartbreaking because we loved each other. Right. You know, we were together a long time. Yeah. But then um, you guys all reunited, right, for that VH1 show? Yeah, that surprise attack. Yeah. That was scary. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good to see everybody. It was fun. Yeah, I mean, it, that was like, also, probably one of the last shows I watched on VH1 was uh, th that series because it was it was pretty entertaining to see them try to reunite members of all these different bands. Well, plus they're really sneaky about how right. they do it. That's what it looked like, yeah. Oh my God! I mean, when Richard, you know, um, you could do an interview with Richard Blade. I've known Richard for years. I'm right. like, oh, okay, I started <laughs> dragging to the street because you're on radio. You're not really dressing for it. Yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, it was just like, what? Oh, my God. But, you know, I'm fine. It was, those things are, I, it's like high school reunions. Well, I never went to high school, so I haven't gone to a high school reunion. Right. But I can imagine that they're, you know, they've got their good bits and their, good, and their bad bits. But it's just nice to see everybody. Right. That's what, that's what Facebook's now for. <laughs> yeah. <that's>, oh. <laughs> yeah. So then you, you guys... You, you kept the name of the band, right? And you just recruited new members? Yeah, I went through, well, I went through a phase where, you know, after I left Capitol and I guess it was 89, kind of somewhere around, I'm, I'm horrible chronologically. <laughs> I just go forward, I don't look back. Um, and for a year, for the first time in my life, for a year, I didn't write a song. That's the longest I've ever gone without, since I started writing when I was 15, I just, I never, it's never one of those things where I like, I'm going to sit down and write my songs every day. I never do that. Right. In fact, I'll go months and not write a song, but then all of a sudden the inspiration hits and like a, a herd of them will come in. You know, like it'll <laughs> just be a flurry, like 10 songs in a day or something crazy. Um, so basically, I just, I was so sort of done and over and. You know, it kind of, I ended up at the at the end of the day when I finished, you know, when I'd finished doing the, the Policy album, they had me writing with a bunch of different people. There's a Diane Warren song on there. Well, obviously Diane Warren knows how to write a tune. Right. But more than anything, I'm a writer. I'm, I'm, the singing part was a happy accident. And, and the fact that, like, I was writing with, co they had me co-writing with all these people. I'm just like, wait a minute. I mean, that's what I do. I'm a writer, yeah. <laughs> and the and the direction the music had gone. I mean, I've always liked really dark, quirky, weird stuff, you know. And it it's it's like, and it just gone the other. I just felt like I'd sort of been hollowed out, you know. And so after that album, I actually asked my lawyer to get me off Capitol. I just and, I, and for a year I didn't do anything but upholster couches and stuff. <laughs> um, but then, then somebody offered me a gig, and they said, "Yeah, we've got this thing happening down at the beach, and I'll pay you twenty grand." And I went, "Shit, I better get a band together." <laughs> <laughs> so that's when I started putting together new bands, and and I started out. I had different band names because I didn't want to be the Motels. You know, I think everybody goes through that. It's right. sort of like being a teenager again, where you're just sort of discounting anything that came in the you know you want.
want to sort of break away from it. So I think I was Martha Davis Jr. <laughs> I had the, uh, let's see, what was the other one? Um, oh, God, there was, you know, a bunch of little crazy names. And I started working with really young guys that had never even come close to a record. I kind of started all over. I kind of started as a pretending I was a teenager in a, in a garage band. And I, I went through the whole process all over until about uh, 2003, and I found this new band, which is, you know, I, I worked my way up to these guys that I'm playing with now who are just so wonderful. And this band is, you know, this is, you know, before I'd been called, you know, Martha Davis and the Motels. And this, I just call this band the Motels because this feels more like the Motels almost than the Motels did, you know. It's really, really a band. It's a great band. The guys are amazing players, and we love each other so much, and we have so much fun. It's it's really, really amazing. Right. Now, was that whole process of kind of starting over, like, refreshing or, like, kind of scary or both? I think I needed, I needed to be there. I wasn't, you know, I mean, I think everybody goes through a bit of when you first get signed because you've been... You've probably been working at it for about eight years before you ever get signed. I mean, in the old days, that's how it was. Right. And you'd be out running around, you know, packing up posters in the middle of the night, running around, running away from the cops, you know, <laughs> and, and you know, and just like playing these shit gigs forever and ever and ever, and just you you just paying dues, paying dues, paying dues, and then when you finally, when it finally happens, it happens kind of fast. You know, I mean, for us, it really happened fast because. Carter, our first producer, who is no longer with us, wonderful man, had had seen us, you know, actually years before. He had he had wanted to. He was interested in the first band that was Dean and Chuck, and um, for, that used to be the the uh, Warfield Foxes, and then the Angels of Mercy, the first Motels. He was kind of he came down and saw us and was interested in us then, and then that band broke up, of course, but. Then he came back when the new band with Marty and, and Michael and, and Brian and everybody. Um, and then it was like he was so sure that Capitol was going to sign us. And there was a there was a kind of a feeding frenzy that was going on throughout L.A. about, like, you know, record companies signing bands from the backyard because for the most part they were, they were looking to New York and stuff to sign bands, but then all of a sudden... LA bands became in fashion, and, and there was a, a real feeding frenzy. And so there was there was more than capital looking at us. But Carter was so sure that he was going to sign us that he booked the re, the re, recording time months before we ever got signed. So we literally signed a record deal on Sunday. It was a Mother's Day. I thought it was May 9th, but I'm I could be wrong. Right. Um, in 1979, and. The next, that was Sunday, the next day we went in the studio. And that doesn't usually happen. Usually there's back and forth with lawyers and this and that and the other thing. So a band, you know, gets signed to a label, and then it takes a few months before they ever go in the studio. But for us, it was the next day. So my head was spinning from the very first, you know, first thing I got in there. And I just, you know, I, I was just so young and new to it. I mean, I wasn't that young for a new artist. I mean, it was... 29, I think, but it just, it, it was a lot for me to take in, and so I think when I redid the process, I had to do it and be there, you know what I mean? Right. Be very conscious and very aware of what I was doing, and it's taken me a long time to actually 
even though I know I've got this amazing thing with the songwriting, that's just a gift that, you know, I just am eternally grateful for. But it took me a long time to have confidence about it. You know, I, I never really had a lot of confidence in myself. I just wasn't a confident person, you know. So I think right now I'm probably just coming into my stride, you know. Slow learner. Right, yeah, exactly. Well, you, as long as you get there, right? Yeah. <laughs> in March, the band is releasing their latest album, The Last Few Beautiful Days. What can fans expect from that album? I think that fans, new and old, um, I think we've been playing some of the songs out from that album, and um, it's they're going over great. You know, they really people are really responding to them. Uh, I think it's the best Motels album that's ever been recorded. I mean, I tend to like the newest thing best. Mm -hmm. That's just me. But I, I think consistently throughout this album, the songwriting and everything is just really... I think it's better than it's ever been. Um, the band is now so coalesced and so good, and we are such a band that that... that you hear that in albums. I think you hear when, you know, if it was a bunch of studio musicians, you'd hear some really fine playing by a bunch of, which is what All for One was, pretty much. You know, that, you know, Val Garay made all his session Yo-Cats come in and play that album. So um, it wasn't truly a Motels album as much as we'd like to think, you know. Um, but this album is really a Motels album, and it's, I don't know. I, I think it's just the best album that the Motels have ever made, you know. Yeah, well, we definitely look forward to hearing it and definitely seeing you guys on tour again. Martha, thank you for a few minutes today. I really appreciate it. Good luck. Uh, it's my pleasure, Noel. Starlight, vivid as madness. Dreams wake inside my head. It's as though I'm hearing words no one says.
And that was Lucky Stars off of the Motel's new album, The Last Few Beautiful Days, which is out now. You can follow the Motels on Twitter at The Motels. Check out their website, themotels.com. You can follow me on Twitter at the first Noel 19 Be sure to like the page Reliving My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, and while you're there, you can check out past episodes of the show, subscribe to it, and you can also rate and review the show. Special thanks to everyone who's listening. I can't do without you guys. And be on the lookout for another episode of Reliving My Youth real soon.